in the Navy. They're taught the best way to fight a storm or a hurricane was just to move out to sea and anchor deep. Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. There are times in our lives when we're caught in storms. Maybe someone listening is going through that right now. The best way to fight a storm is to anchor deep. Join us as we explore this year's theme and see how we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure in Christ. We hope you enjoy. All right, amen. Good morning, church. Good to see you all. So uh, I just want to say thank you for putting up with Pastor Greg and I for the last month. And uh, Pastor Rob will be back next Sunday. I'm sure you guys look forward to that. And just to clear something up, so you know, for a couple weeks before Pastor Rob left, I wasn't here. And then for the last five weeks, he hasn't been here. And then I'm actually going to Indiana uh, next weekend to do the uh, uh, wedding ceremony for Bethany Washler, who grew up at our church, and uh, her mom was a longtime piano player for us here. And so I won't be here next week, but Pastor Rob will be back. And so just to clear things up, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with Pastor Rob and I, okay? I mean, we haven't seen each other in two months, so I would say things have never been better. And, um, and so anyway, so really looking forward to, uh, to having old Pastor Rob back next week. So before we get into our passage today, um, I just want to remind you guys, when I, when I preached uh, my first sermon in this series... Um, I remind you guys that in John chapter 20, John, the gospel of John was written by the apostle John, and he tells us why he wrote the book. And he says in John chapter 20, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so John wrote these stories down so that we might put our faith in Jesus. And so week after week, we've seen examples of people being taught, their miracles being done. And actually, we've seen two things. And we'll see it again in this chapter. There are people that see Jesus, listen to Jesus, see the miracles, and put their faith in him. And then there are other people who see Jesus, see the miracles, and still choose to walk away from him. All right, But John wrote these down so that we could believe in him. And so we've been reading about his teachings. We've been seeing his miracles. And those things aren't over. But as we head into John chapter 11, the, Jesus is kind of turning a corner in his ministry. All right, Again, he's not done teaching. He's not done doing miracles. But in John chapter 11, we kind of see a, a corner being turned. Because John chapter 11, he, he's starting that walk towards the cross. And as you know, the Gospel of John, the last seven, eight, nine chapters of the Gospel of John are all about that last week of Jesus' life. And in this story, we see Jesus kind of turning that corner and going towards the cross. And so our main, our main players in this chapter are people that we actually talked about uh, just a little over a month ago. We have Mary, we have Martha, we have Lazarus. We, we talked about them in our series, They Walked with God. And so we know a little bit about their story already. But, you know, we aren't given a lot of details about the relationship that Jesus had with them. But it's obvious that these three are very important to Jesus. I kind of wonder if their home kind of became a home away from home for Jesus. Like if that wasn't a place where Jesus could go and just relax, where Jesus could go and get refreshed. And so Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are part of our story. The disciples also have their part to play in this chapter. And once again, 
Just like we read throughout most of the Gospels, Jesus is talking and they're not understanding. And so it's very easy for us to read that and to see that and to be difficult on them. But I often read what Jesus is saying and go, well, you know, if I was sitting there, if I was in their sandals or whatever it was that they were wearing, I'm not sure I would have understood what Jesus was saying necessarily any better than they did. Matter of fact, they might have probably had a better grasp on it than I do. But again, in this chapter, Jesus starts talking to them, and they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And as a matter of fact, in this story, Jesus talks about going towards Bethany, which is right near Jerusalem, and the disciples are afraid because the last time Jesus was in that area, people were, were trying to kill him. And if they kill Jesus, guess what? They're going to come after the people that are with Jesus as well. And so they're rightfully a little bit afraid as we read this story today. And so as you go through this chapter, what I want to tell you right from the beginning what the ultimate point of this chapter is. The ultimate point is this, is that, you know what, in the most difficult times in our lives, it's our faith in Jesus that will sustain us. All right, in the most difficult times in our life, it's our faith in Jesus that will sustain us. Because as this chapter tells us, he is the resurrection and he is the life. Unfortunately, following Jesus won't keep us from facing difficult situations, but our faith in him can help us to not allow those difficult situations to overcome us, to overpower us. And so we're not going to read all of John chapter 11. Uh, you, you could read the whole story for yourself. We'll read parts of it. But at the beginning of John chapter 11, what we read is we're simply told that Lazarus is sick. And because he's sick, his sisters send a message to Jesus. Now, I don't know if we have the whole message. You know, like maybe they really did just send just a couple of words to Jesus. Maybe they sent them a long letter. But what John feels the need to tell us is this. This was their message. Lord, the one you love is sick. All right? And it's interesting to note that that's what John says, the letter says, because what it doesn't say is, Lord, the one you love is sick. Please come heal him. Lord, the one, the one you love is sick. Please come fix him. Please come take care of this. I, I think it's very possible they wouldn't have felt the need to say that to Jesus. I, I think they had such a relationship with Jesus. I think they expected to be able to just say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And realize that, oh, Jesus will drop everything and come take care of this situation. Just like you would. If someone you loved was sick, if someone you loved was dying, it, didn't ma it wouldn't matter what you were doing or where you were. You would drop everything and you would go to them. And so they sent them this message. As a matter of fact, though, several different authors that I read this week suggested the idea that it's very possible that Lazarus was already dead when Jesus even got this letter. Like when Jesus got this message, it's possible Lazarus was already gone. Um, there's a couple other interesting things that I, that I think about as I, as I read through the chapter. In verse 6, it tells us that Jesus, so Jesus is told about Lazarus, he's told that he's dying, and we read in verse 6, it says that, that Jesus stays there for two more days. That's kind of interesting timing. Like I said already, if someone I found out I cared about was dying, I would go to them immediately. But in here we read that it says that Jesus stays there two more days. You know, Jesus had a plan. Jesus had a plan, and, and even if the timing didn't make sense to the sisters or to his disciples, he was sticking with that plan. Like we see that all throughout Jesus' ministry. Think back to his very first miracle. 
Think back to his very first miracle. He's at a wedding, and they run out of wine. And his mom comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, they're out of wine. Do something. Okay? Do you remember this? His mother, like, badgers him into his first miracle. Okay? And when, when, Jesus, when, mother, when his mother says this to him, he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And so I think all throughout Jesus' ministry, he's had a plan, and he has stuck to it. Okay, he is stuck to the plan no matter what's going on. And in John chapter 11, he's sticking to his plan. And so Jesus, again, has a conversation with the disciples that they don't understand. Pretty common, like I said, at this point. He tells them that Lazarus is asleep. They misunderstand him, and they're like, well, if he's just sleeping, he'll wake up. And then Jesus has, has to just pointedly tell them, nope, he's a goner. Okay? He has to just tell them, no, no Lazarus is dead. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 11. Should also be up on the screen here um, in a moment. And so in John chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them on the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Now listen to these two verses. I'm going to read them twice because they're so powerful. It says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Let me, see, let me read that again. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Let me ask you guys, if you've been listening, how many days had Lazarus been in the tomb already? Okay, very good. Four. Okay, he'd been in the tomb for four days. And Martha still believes that Jesus could do something. Even now, God will give you whatever you ask. We'll come back to this later, but that's such incredible faith that Martha has in the Lord. Four days, even now. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And so Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In the Gospel of John, there's seven times where Jesus says, I am, and then he follows it up with words. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. He says, I am, last week it said he's the gate for the sheep, or some versions say the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And here he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And in the next couple chapters, a couple verses you might be familiar with, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then a verse in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. And so Jesus has these seven moments where he's saying, I am, and then he says something else that describes him. It shows his character. It's revealing who he is. And so here he says, man, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, Lord. And this is a great verse as well, verse 27. Because we all know Peter is giving the great confession when he asks, you know, who do they say he is? I believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, here, Martha gives it. Says, yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. In one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. Also, if you're a little kid that went to Sunday school class and you had to memorize Bible verses for prizes, probably the first verse you ever memorized. Okay, John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. Not to confuse with the passage in Thessalonians 5, 17 that says pray continually. Okay, a couple of, couple of long verses there. But verse 35, it really is beautiful to think about it. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? What a great passage this is. And, and you know, every culture, every culture mourns death a little bit differently. So for the Jewish culture of Jesus' time, they, they would have had some serious mourning for about seven days where it was just really dramatic, okay? During those seven days, they wouldn't have put on any shoes. They wouldn't have gone to work and conducted any business. They wouldn't have studied. As a matter of fact, they wouldn't even have washed themselves, from what I read, during those first seven days. And that would be followed up by another 30 days of mourning. But during this time, they're intensely mourning the loss of Lazarus. And what would happen is their friends and their family and their neighbors would come and they would mourn with them. And so there would be weeping and wailing as they thought about Lazarus' life. And so the respect for the dead and compassion and sympathy for those that have lost loved ones was part of that culture. And that's what Jesus was walking into. Okay, that's the, that's the house that Jesus was walking into in this moment. And so before Jesus even gets there, though, Martha comes out to him. Martha comes out to him and has this conversation with him. And, and again, I mentioned, I emphasized it already. But how powerful and wonderful is verse 22? Because she believes that even after four days in the tomb, Jesus can still do something for Lazarus. He's been gone, but Jesus can do something. Uh, one of my favorite commentators when I was a kid uh, was a guy named Warren Wearsby. And I liked him because he was simple and he was short. Okay? He was simple and he was brief. And... Uh, I kind of like that in, in a commentator and a preacher and a teacher of any kind. But so anyways, he wrote this about this chapter. He also liked to use the same letter, like the first letter of words. You'll understand what I mean in a second. It says, when we find ourselves confronted by disease, disappointment, delay, and even death, our only encouragement is the word of God. We must live by faith and not by sight. Their situation seemed hopeless. Okay, he's been in the grave four days. That's pretty hopeless. Their situation seemed hopeless, yet the sisters knew that Jesus was the master of every situation. So my question for you is this today. Are you facing a hopeless situation in your life? Like, have you been trying to straighten something out? Have you been trying to figure something out on your own? Do you have something you just can't deal with, and it's overwhelming? And are you trying to do it on your own? If that's you today, what I want to encourage you to do is to trust our Savior with it. To trust our Savior with it. I, I can't promise you that Jesus is going to miraculously fix 
Whatever it is that's going on in your life. I wish I could promise you that. I wish I could say, just trust him enough and everything will go your way. That would be a lie. I can't tell you that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't trust him with everything that we have. But what I can promise you is this. In that hopeless situation, in that difficult situation, in that struggle that you're facing, even if things don't work the way you want them to, what I can't promise you is that God has not abandoned you, but God is right there next to you and with you. Do you understand that? Lots of times when bad things happen, we go through struggles, we say, where is God? And my answer to you is he is right there with you. He is right there next to you. He understands and he sympathizes and he's there to comfort and to strengthen And so Jesus, in having this conversation with Martha, says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. In Jesus, we find resurrection and we find life. He isn't isn't promising us that we're not going to die physically, but he's promising us eternal life if we put our faith in him. Because the reality is, the only thing I can promise you all also about this life is that we're all going to die. One day that would be all of us, unless... Unless we are the generation that's here when Jesus comes back, we're all going to face that moment, okay? And aside from that, you know, there's nothing else I can promise you. But what I do know is that there's something far worse than dying physically, and that's a spiritual death without Jesus. That's a spiritual death without him. You know, when I think about it, if Jesus is a resurrection of the life and he has promised me eternal life, what can this world really do to me? Like, honestly, what can this world really do to me? If the world tries to do the very worst it can do to me, it's still nothing. It's still nothing compared to spending eternity with heaven. Okay? So, so whatever this world has to offer, whatever struggles it has to give me, I can bear it because I know where I'm going. And I know where I'm spending eternity. Okay? That doesn't, that doesn't mean that those things aren't hard for you or those things aren't difficult Okay, I'm not trying to say that, but we can trust in our Savior who says that he is the resurrection and the life. The, the other thing I want you to notice in these passages, and I think this is, this for me, just for me personally, as I read this, this story, um, it's so powerful to me. Because I want you to notice in verse 33, when Jesus comes to the place and he experiences the mourners, it tells us that he's, he's deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And the idea of that deeply moved in spirit and troubled is the idea that like he is compassionate and he's torn up about it, but there's also like a little hint of anger in him. Okay? And it's not anger at Lazarus. It's not anger at the sisters. It's not anger at the mourners. I think it's anger at the idea of what sin has caused to happen to his friend Lazarus. And so Jesus is torn up by this. And then verse 35 tells us that Jesus wept. I think that's so incredible because obviously Jesus had a plan. Obviously Jesus knew what he was going to do. I don't mean to ruin the story, but in just a few verses, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Hope you stay. Okay, but but that's what he was going to do. Okay, he knew that. And yet I love the fact that Jesus' emotions are so moved by what he's experiencing. Okay? Because I I think it's showing his love for Lazarus. It's showing his love for for Lazarus' sisters. I think it's showing that that, that his care for the other people that are there that are mourning. And the idea that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has entered into our experiences. And so he's able to understand 
the difficulties and the struggles that you and I go through. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. That's a prophetic verse about the Messiah. And then in Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16, it says, Therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. So let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That verse where it says we have a high priest who we do not have, a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who is able to empathize with us in our struggles. Do you ever feel misunderstood? Read the Gospels. Jesus felt misunderstood from time to time. Do you ever feel like you've been abandoned? Do you ever feel like you've been rejected? Matter of fact, I think I mentioned this already. Maybe I didn't. But in just about every story that we read about here, we read about people coming to faith in Jesus, and we read about people walking away from Jesus at the same time. Even in this story, we're not going to get to it. You can read it for yourself later on. But even in this chapter, they see Lazarus raised from the dead, and there are people that put their faith in Jesus, and there are still others that refuse to. I mean, I don't know how much more Jesus has to do. Okay, he raises someone from the dead, and there are still people that walk away from him. So do you ever feel misunderstood, abandoned, rejected? Jesus understands your pain. Do you ever feel loss? I think of Jesus when he hears about his cousin, John the Baptist, being put to death. I think Jesus experienced loss. I also, and this is, I don't really know what the whole story is. The Bible doesn't really tell us. Because we don't really read about Joseph after Jesus is a child. By the time of Jesus' ministry and his death on the cross, we don't read about Joseph anymore. We only hear about Mary. And I'm assuming what that means is at some point, Joseph died. And so I look at that and I think, man, Jesus understands the pain and the struggle and the loss that you and I feel, the difficulties you and I go through. So even though I've kind of ruined the story by telling you how it ends, let's keep reading here in verse 38. It says, once more, or Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Verse 45 says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. And so Jesus calls out to Lazarus and Lazarus comes out. Lazarus comes out in that moment. An old Puritan writer that I was reading, he said this, it's a good thing that Jesus called out to Lazarus because if he hadn't called out to Lazarus by name when he shouted, he would have emptied the whole cemetery. Okay? And the reality is Jesus could have done it. 
But he called Lazarus by name, and Lazarus came out. And so, actually, Lazarus, to me, is a perfect picture of really all of us as people. Because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, Romans chapter 6, and all kinds of other places, that because of sin, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, for the wages of sin is death. And so Lazarus is dead. He's dead and he's decaying. And just like us, without Christ, we are dead. We are lost. But Lazarus is brought back to life because of their faith in Jesus. He is brought back from death to life. It's kind of what baptism, when we have baptism, that's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the death, the burial, and the resurrection, not only of Jesus, but of us. It symbolizes the death of our old way of life, burying that old way of life, and coming up out of those waters a new person. It symbolizes what God does for us spiritually. How's that possible? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So this morning, before we finish... There's several things that I want you guys to take away from our sermon today. The first two, I wrote them separately, and then I realized they're the same thing, so I put them together in my notes. But what I want you to I encourage you guys with is this, is that, you know, we need to trust God even when his timing doesn't match ours. We need to trust God even when our timing doesn't match ours. We want things done like that. God doesn't really respond to our snapping of our finger, Okay? Like when my kids were young, I could tell them to do something and I could just look at them and I could get it done. Yeah, God doesn't really respond to that. Okay, so his timing doesn't always match ours. But also with that, you know, you and I in our lives, we need to have faith like Mary and Martha did. Okay, so we need to trust in his timing and we need to have faith like Mary and Martha did. I don't know who this quote really came from originally. Uh, Some person I read said Oscar Wilde. Someone said John Lennon. Um, But there's a quote that says this, says, everything will be all right in the end, so if it's not all right, it is not yet the end. Okay, now I first heard that quote from a a funny, lovable goofball named Sonny Kapoor in a movie, okay? And if you've ever seen the movie, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, you know who I'm talking about. He's a lovable goofball, okay? I am not telling you all to watch that movie, probably inappropriate for many of you, okay? Um, But his character is just such a crack up. And he uses that phrase to try to explain to everybody that I know things don't look good now, but it isn't over. Now, this is what I'm telling you. That that phrase, it's poor theology. It's not good theology. You don't hear the Apostle Paul talking like that. You don't hear Jesus talking about it. You don't hear any of the Bible writers writing like that. But this is what I know. I may not get what I want, okay? Or I may not get what I want all the time, but I know that God knows what I need, and he will give me what I need when I need it. Does that make sense? I may not always get what I want. Sometimes I'm confused. I think what I want is really something I need, but it's not. Okay, so I may not always get what I want, but God will always give me what I need when I need it. And some issues don't ever work out the way I want them to. Some issues won't ever work out like I would like them to on this planet, on this earth. That's what's so beautiful about Hebrews chapter 11. You read through Hebrews chapter 11, it's all these people of great faith that have put their faith in God, and they've done all kinds of wonderful things for God. But towards the end of the chapter, it says many of these people, they didn't receive what was promised. Like they died before what was promised came about. And it doesn't mean that God wasn't faithful. It just wasn't time for those promises to be delivered. Their job, our job, is just to trust in him. 
to trust that he knows what he's doing and that he knows what's going on. Lazarus was dead, and yet his sisters still believed that Jesus could do something about it. Uh, Next, the idea that you and I, we need to cling to the fact that Jesus is a resurrection and the life. You know, we'll all face difficulties in life. We're all going to face loss. We're all going to face uncertainty. We're all going to deal with situations that, that, that we're forced to leave unsettled. And our job is to cling to him. Cling to him during those times for comfort, for strength, and for hope. The last thing I want to mention is that you and I, we need to live compassionately like Jesus modeled for us. Okay? We ought to live compassionately like Jesus modeled for us. Now I know in a room like this, there are some of you that are incredibly compassionate. There are some of you that wouldn't have any idea what the word compassion means. Okay? There are some of you that are compassionate. Like, my kids like to say that I have no compassion for people. <sighs> you are not my child, but you act like it sometimes. So it is not that I lack compassion. I struggle with how to express compassion, okay? I feel compassion, I feel empathy, but there are times where I struggle to know how to express that compassion or that empathy. And I, and I imagine I'm not the only person here today that has that issue. And so I wanna encourage us all to be people of compassion, to be people of empathy in our world where there's not a lot of compassion. And there's not a lot of empathy. But whenever you read about Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, our role model, the example for us, the person that we are supposed to model our lives after, when you read about him coming across people that are broken and hurting and struggling, what you don't see from him is judgment. What you see is love. What you see is compassion. What you see is him doing whatever he could do to help. Okay, listen to these verses. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 So Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. It says he had compassion on them, because they were lost. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark 6, 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began to teach them many things. And in Luke chapter 7, Jesus comes across a woman who is a widow, so she's already lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. And Luke 7, verse 13 says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, like his heart was broken because of the loss of this woman. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Okay, now this is where he stopped. He also brought the son back to life, okay? Last time I checked, I don't have that power. I don't think any of you in this room have that power. But our job is to see those people that are hurting and struggling and come alongside them like Jesus did, to have compassion and empathy. I wish, man, I wish I had the power to heal the sick. You know, like you see all these nut jobs on TV, you know, pretending like they're healing people. Man, if you got the real power to heal, you know where you go? You go to the hospitals. Okay, you're not on TV. You're in every hospital. I'm starting off at West Hills, then you're going to Kaiser, then you're going whichever direction, every hospital you can find. Okay? 
Jesus had that power. I don't. But you know what? I don't have the resources to feed the 5,000. I don't have the resources to do a lot of things. But every single one of us could model Jesus' compassion and empathy to the people that we come across. Jesus is our model. He shows us how to do it. And my encouragement to us today is to remember that we serve Jesus, the resurrection and the life, to model that compassion and empathy when we come across others that need it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for the whole gospel of John. I thank you for the fact that he wrote it so that we could trust Jesus. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, not just to trust him, but you would help us to model our lives after him. Lord, I pray for those that struggle with compassion and empathy. I pray that you would just break down our hearts so that we could see those in need and do whatever it is that we can. And so often, Lord, we're helpless and we can't do anything. But all of us can come, come across people and listen and put an arm around them and care for them and pray for them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to model that to our world. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, while I was praying, people joined us up here on the stage that are, uh, if you guys don't know, on Wednesday we have a team of people that are going off to Kenya. Okay, Greg, why don't you scoot down a little bit more so they're not all in the shadows down at the end. So we have a team going to Kenya. Yeah. Looks like a... Looks like a pretty good team here. And so what we want to do is we just want to have a word of prayer for them, to pray over them for safe travels, for a safe trip. It would be awesome if you all uh, could just be praying for them each day. Okay, so pray for, pray for Greg, that he has the wisdom to lead this group. Okay, pray for them, that they have the patience to listen to Greg as they're on this trip. And just pray that they would be able to make a difference, you know, as they, as they go over there and minister to these young people over there in Kenya. And so let me, let me pray for them. And again, we beg that you would just pray for them. They're leaving on Wednesday. Just pray for them uh, as, they, as they go on this trip together. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for the men and women that are on this stage that are, that are going over to Kenya, Lord, to serve you. And I, I just pray, Lord, that their work would be a joy and not a burden. Lord, I pray that you would give Pastor Greg wisdom uh, to help this, they just try to navigate travel and different countries and different situations. I pray especially, Lord, for, for wisdom for him. Lord, at all, all joking aside, Lord, I pray that these people would be uh, good followers for him, that they would listen to, to, to his encouragement and his guidance on this trip. Lord, most of all, I pray that you would help them just to be an encouragement and love to the, to the kids and to the people they, they interact with in Kenya. And again, Lord, we just pray for, for their safety. And I just pray this would be such a great experience, Lord, that, that, that the kingdom would be different because of the time they spent over there. Father, thank you again. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org, or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Your mercies and your love that you've always 